Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Welcome to the Compass Catholic Changemaker Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Kano. On this podcast, we talk about how to live with our money as Catholics. Hi, Changemakers. This week's episode is a second interview with Doug Lynham. In our last Changemaker episode, Doug and I had a conversation about Doug's book, From Monk to Money Manager. In this week's episode, Doug joins me again to talk about the history of money in our current financial system. You don't need to be a money geek to enjoy this episode. To learn more about Doug, please visit DougLynham.com. But before we get started, please hit that subscribe button, like Compass Catholic on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram. Thank you, Doug, for being here again. Well, it's welcome. Great to have, great to be back, and we enjoyed my first visit. So, so thanks for bringing me on again as a guest. So in our last episode, we ended on a note that I just, we, we need to talk about this. <laughs> and this is the history of money because yes. we are born into the world at, you know, a fixed point in time. There's a lot of stuff that happened prior to us getting here mm -hmm. that leads up to the infrastructure of money and, mm -hmm. and what money is. And I think sometimes just in our own little bubble, we forget about the history of that kind of stuff that leads mm -hmm. up to our perceptions and our emotions and our mm -hmm. everything having to do with money. So let's just start there. Let's just jump in both feet and see where this conversation goes. Sure. But do you want to give us a little bit of history on money? Maybe a little history lesson before we jump into a conversation. Well, I think that the thing that particularly when you're thinking about faith-based investing and when you want to align your investments with your values, um, when we look to sacred texts, texts like the Bible, and we try to pull some of the wisdom from those that era into our into our modern day lives, it's helpful to know what the historical context of a lot of the biblical admonitions and 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 warnings around money were really all about. Um, because in Jesus's time, it's helpful to remember that economics, as we know it and understand it today didn't exist. So economics as a field of study wouldn't be invented for over 1500 years until after the time of Jesus. The middle class wasn't invented for a good 1700 years. And so a, a lot of the 
problems that when, when so the, the truths of the Bible are perennial, like the, the wisdom, the spiritual values and those lessons are eternal, but the context in which some of these things were said was very, very different. And you need to understand where maybe Jesus, the apostles, the disciples, and everyone else was coming from. So one really key example, um, often, particularly in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there's a lot of warnings against things like usury, which is simply the charging of interest. Like, well, well, why were they so opposed to charging interest for loans and things like that? Well, partly because we didn't have a, the legal system we have today. We don't have the court system we have today. If, if you defaulted on a debt in the time of Jesus, they couldn't come and repossess your house. They didn't come and repossess your car. They repossessed you. They took you and your family and threw you into slavery. And so our religious leaders are saying, this is bad. This is a really bad economic model that we're living in. It was much more like Spartacus than Pleasantville. And so in that context, what position would you expect anyone with any religious and spiritual sensibilities to take around money and how we're relating to it? It was a, a world of, of pure haves and have-nots. And so if we think about the 1% today, well, in Jesus's time, it was, it was infinitely worse. Um, so you know, we wouldn't use, say, Aristotle to teach us how to build an iPhone because science wasn't invented yet. And we probably shouldn't be using some of these sacred texts as tools for building our portfolios and constructing our modern economy because they weren't talking, because economics wasn't invented yet. So when you realize that, that the spiritual values are eternal, but the specifics of how you apply some of these lessons in finance have to be updated and, and, and looked at with a little bit more crit critical eye. And you mentioned the haves and have nots, and <laughs> that is how it worked back, back then. It wasn't, um, yeah, we didn't have the laws. We didn't have the computer systems we didn't have all these different things. So one person has five shekels. Someone else has zero. It's a zero sum game that right. we can't not, we can't ignore that element of the development of history and development of the modern economic system. Right. Um, Oh, this is so interesting. Okay. I feel this is a book. We can like it. it is. Well, I write about it. A part in one of the chapters is, is that that's a really important term you just mentioned, which is zero sum thinking. So in biblical times, it really was zero sum. One person, so if, for those who aren't familiar with zero sum thinking, it's like sports, right? So if one team goes up a point, another team is down a point. So if someone's up five shekels, someone else, you, you are literally robbing Peter to pay Paul every time there's a, for the most part, when it was not the same system we have now. So when we talk about money, a lot of the guilt, a lot of the shame that people have is because they think that by building their portfolio, by building wealth for themselves, they're taking something away from someone who's poor. They're actually creating poverty. Well, there was some truth of that, a great deal of that in biblical times, but it's actually not the case. Nowadays, you know, my wealth and, and my prosperity is not at the expense of someone else with some very, very big caveats on that, to be, to be clear, um, it's actually in spite of someone else's poverty that you're not making someone poor by building wealth. In fact, by, it can actually be just the opposite. When we, when we all start to do well and do better, it does have a beneficial effect on the, on the, it's an ecosystem, right? That we all live in now, not this zero sum sort of sports game that people think money really, it, which it can be, but does more often than not, it, it, it's, it's 
it's this, it's this communal, communal ecosystem where we can all work together and rise together. So I'm hearing a couple of things. And the first thing I'm hearing is that we need to kind of break out of this mentality of the pie is a fixed size pie. And mm -hmm. we're just taking our piece of the pie. The pie can grow mm -hmm. and we need the pie to grow. And the other thing I'm hearing is that as Catholics, our dollars are votes mm -hmm. and every dollar we spend, every dollar we invest is a vote for the world that we're trying to build. Yes. How do we get people to see how our dollars are votes? Our dollars are how we change the world and build his kingdom here on earth mm -hmm. using the tool of the dollar. Well, you just said it. I mean, that's as clear as succinct answer as I could give um, because you're right. You know, the idea that our dollars are our votes, our dollars express our values and 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 how we spend our money. You know, we can say one thing in church. We can we can talk a talk. We can say prayers. But at the end of the day, where the rubber meets the road is how are you acting in the world? And and money is the tool through which we take action in a in a in a capitalist economy. There's no way around it. So the problem is when we divorce those two and think that well, I've said the prayers. I've done this. I've and it's it's sort of that. Um, uh, what's I'm, I'm struggling for the word, but um, sort of the when when the rites and rituals take the place of meaningful behavior, right? As you showed up for church, you went to communion. Oh well, that's the whole thing's done. Well, no, <laughs> actually, the whole idea was that you're supposed to take that communion and, and and be in communion with the world all day, every day, with the people and with God and and, and the world around you. And so, if you aren't bringing that sacramental nature into if money can't be a sacrament if it can't be sacramentalized at least then in some part the job of the of of our spiritual practice is um is far from complete oh that's i've never heard the term of yeah sacramentalizing money everything can be used for his glory right and money is no different right oh, fascinating so going back to the history of money and and helping people see that our modern economic system is different than things were back then. What are the spiritual non-negotiables that people need to be aware of? Because there is the spiritual element, mm -hmm. but there has been changes. So what do we need to know are the non-negotiables that we need to take into this modern economic system? Hmm. Well, I'll, the simple answer is that's, that's up to you, the listener, right? That, that, no you know, I can't, answer, I can't tell you what your values are. I can tell you what my values are and, and, and I can tell you what my non-negotiables are, but, but that's part of discernment. That's part of being a spiritually mature human being is that it isn't rules and regulations are important container that they're the scaffolding with when, which your spiritual practice needs to grow. So having those boundaries and saying, you know, clear yeses, clear noes, clear rights, clear wrongs, essential, right? But I think a really when you mature through that and you and you get to a little bit more wisdom and discernment, is to understand that every rule has an exception. Every rule is going to have, you know, caveats, and and that's a really un morally it's not ambiguous, but it's it's a little difficult for a lot of people to 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 navigate that space. It takes a lot. It takes that maturity, that growth and discernment to get beyond the law, right? So the law isn't made for man, right? The law was made for man, man wasn't made for the law. So if you're looking for, for, for a law, what are the non-negotiables? Again, you got to figure that out for yourself. I, I would say this, for me, it comes down to, are you, is, is money being used in a way of, to 
to express loving kindness? Is it, are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you, are you doing things that destroy your community or build up your community and your family? Are you doing things to destroy people, people's lives or, and destroy our planet? Those destroying people's lives and destroying our planet for me are the two non-negotiables that I, 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 I say, okay, that's my, that's my, my absolute non-negotiable. But again, you, you got to figure out how is this practice of, how is money becoming a, a spiritual practice? Not spiritual perfection, not spiritual, you know, whatever. It, it's, it's a practice that you have to do and get better at and never perfect over time. I still make mistakes. I still don't get it right. But it's the process of struggling with the question and reflecting deeply on it. That's the point where you grow and have, have gained greater maturity and wisdom. And I, I think people find comfort in simple rules. There's comfort <laughs> right. there, right? Because right. it takes the it takes the discernment out mm-hmm. of the process. And when I would work with clients, the term I could see them cringe with, and I had to stop using that term eventually. Was well, it depends. Mm-hmm. People don't like that term because it, it's not cut and dry. It's not perfect. <laughs> they want the they want the easy rules because they want to feel like there's something they're just not clued into and mm-hmm. something if they just knew their problems would be fixed, but really mm-hmm. it is a practice every day is a practice. And every spiritual practice, I think could come down to something as simple as this is, is it, is it serving your ego or is it serving something higher? And where is your, are you accumulating this wealth to serve to, so you can look and feel good about yourself or are you using it to serve your family and your community and, and, and God? And if, if that's the case, then you're, you're on the right track. It's that, okay, how do you get yourself out of the way so that the divine can shine through? And money, and this is why money is so tricky and it's so difficult because it's so readily susceptible to egoism and to selfishness and to self-centeredness. So you could come up with any set of rules you want but your ego will find loop, find a way to work inside those rules and still be a, a narcissistic, selfish, self-centered, no blah, blah, bleep, bleep, bleep. And we see that. You see plenty of people who, who go to church every Sunday and they, you know, they, they meet all the external rule. But, but you know what? You're really, yeah, no, it's all about getting pats on the back. And that's where the problem with money can really lie is, is it serving others or serving you? And you, and you got to sort that out for yourself. You got to do the work. You got to do what we call, we would call shadow work, like dig into your, into your soul, look at the darkness inside of you and try to dig that out and make sure money isn't actually amplifying that darkness. It should be clearing it out. Mm. Shadow work. That's yeah. Have you heard that term? No, I'm not. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Well, that we all have our darkness inside of us, right? We all have these the, the shadow side to our personalities. And so um, we have our traumas. A lot of that shadow stuff comes from our, our trauma, from wounds that we have in our, in our childhood. Um, you might think of it as what, what you would classically be doing in, a, in say, psychotherapy would be that deep inner, that, that, that excavation of the, the icky parts of yourself that you don't want to look at. And so bringing that divine love and that divine light into that, those spaces to sort of purge them and clear them and, and pull them out. But, but if you don't look inside your heart, you don't look inside your soul and you aren't doing that shadow work, 
then then money will just amplify your ego and it will become a trap a spiritual trap that will be almost impossible to dislodge which is why we tell people there's so many worries around money but but you got to do that you got to go in there and you got to figure it out otherwise again you don't have the the tools necessary to take right action in the world and i think our ego loves loopholes right like our <laughs> ego loves to look for things to kind of figure out and play around the you know the rules so to speak um but i do like that term shadow work and we all know the best disinfectant for any issue is sunlight right yeah. like that is the best disinfectant <laughs> And that circles back around to our, our ministry's mission, which is showing people how to do the budget and how mm. creating the spending plan and making sure your money is going where your values are, Right, is the sunlight yeah. to disinfect the shadow work, to make sure you are living in alignment with your values. Because that is something I think our modern economic system does is the ability to have quick access to credit and spend money without thinking and not mm -hmm. handing over cash mm -hmm. that allows for the shadow to get darker and to grow. Yep. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. So, so just to, to backtrack it a little bit and circle to your point, which is that, you know, the, the doctrine of original sin was supposed to be a compassionate doctrine. The idea that we're all broken. That's kind of what original sin is about that you are broken. We are all broken. And in those broken spaces, if you let it, that's where those, those are sort of the inflowing places like on the cross that the divine can come through and shine forth. But um, if you, it, but knowing that you have that, that, that darkness in you, again, if you, the, the, the modern economy will feeds off of that brokenness. Like you said, with, with easy access to credit, um, easy access to consumer goods, the temptation to overspend, you can just go on to Amazon and with a click of a button, have anything you want delivered to your door. And if you don't have, really impulse control. You aren't able to control those egoistic impulses for immediate gratification for yourself. The modern economy can very easily spin you into a financial death spiral where that can be in, end up in bankruptcy and end up in all kinds of bad places where you actually are harming not just your own financial life, but but for the people you love. And, and maybe that's the one thing that I, I encourage clients to think about when they have this shame or anxiety or fear around money is to remember that it really isn't about you, right? To think of it, if you're doing it just to prop up your ego, not going to help. But if you're doing it to serve the people you love and to pre prevent the, the inevitable suffering that will occur if you don't get your financial house in order, you know, that's the, that's the thing is, is do this hard inner work, this hard financial work, your budget, in order to be able to serve the people you love so they don't suffer unnecessarily. It's an interesting form of prayer, but it can be a form of prayer. It's, it's mm -hmm. saying, Lord, you know, here is what I've done. Here's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. How do I bridge these two things? Well, if you've ever had someone, like, if you have someone you love needs to go to the hospital, I remember this one time in the monastery where one of the brothers was having heart trouble. I'm like, well, should we call the ambulance? Should we go take him to the doctor? And it's like, and, and now you're worrying about the money when you should just be rushing someone to the hospital, right? So, so if you, <laughs> that's what I mean about doing it getting the stuff together so that you can, when those, what money does really, really well is solve problems. And so if you have a problem for, if there's a problem in your church, there's a problem in your family, there's a problem for something like money solves problems really, really well, if you know how to use it right. And so if you would disempower yourself from money, you're, you're disempowering your ability to find solutions to, to, to these, these issues. 
the spiritual lessons we can glean from the Bible. There's 2,500 verses in the Bible on managing wealth and possessions. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and we definitely delve into those as a ministry, but knowing that we are called to live in the world today, Mm -hmm. but not live of the world. It's matching those things up in a a discernment process that we need to be Mm -hmm. aware of. So, oh goodness. This was really interesting. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> Hope it's a little bit helpful. <laughs> uh, you know, you're a money geek when you just can't stop talking. About it. Yeah, and and also the idea that you you need to. There's also a little bit. I love that quote of being in the world but not, but not of the world is really really essential. But it can create a little bit of dualistic thinking if you're not mm-hmm. careful. You're right. And and so the the highest contemplative practice is is to get to that non-dualistic thinking is to see God everywhere, in everyone and in everything, and so you there's this almost idea that you're going out in the world and you're fighting this. You're you're. I'm I, I'm sure I could think of a better way of putting it if I if I needed to, but you are always in the world and and you you are both in it and of it and and. You would, here's a weird insight, and this is a little bit mystical and hang in there with me, is that you're, you didn't come into this world. You didn't come into this world. You came out of this world, right? You are an instance of the manifestation of the divine that is inflowing to all things everywhere. And if you can see that, then you, you are getting to that monastic contemplative beauty of seeing at where everywhere you look is is God. And so you aren't walking into the world with this armor on to, to protect your ego from the world. It's like, you know, you're, you're opening yourself to the world in, in all of its glory and, and being able to be a force for love and compassion and service. So, so there's, and then when, and then money becomes an, it flows, it becomes an, an integral part of everything that you're doing. And it isn't so hard anymore because you don't put yourself in opposition to the world. You see yourself as a as a as an actor of the divine dance that's flowing all around you. Um, and and our economic system is part of that divine dance. I mean, do you think God has nothing to do with economics? God didn't want economics. God didn't want money. I mean, that would be that would be kind of silly, but an immature way of looking at it. it the, it's because of our economic development that we've we've eliminated much of the poverty. There's billions of people still living in poverty, but but compared to where we were 200 years ago, like the average life expectancy in the turn of the 19th in the 1900s was what mid 40s. I mean, yeah. throughout history, the average life expectancy was probably 30. So so now that we're <laughs> It's because of our economic development that we've now have an average life expectancy of what 74, 75 on average in, in the United States. How did we do that? Well, it was by by developing sanitation, infrastructure, clean water, electricity, power, vaccines, all of it, you know, medicine. These are all the outflowing results of a complicated economic system. And and to see God working through all of that, then you have a sort of more, oh, wow, right? There's something happening here that's quite mysterious and beautiful and awe-inspiring, and you aren't limiting the power of God to, to just <laughs> to say that God isn't working through all of it, right? 
And when you see that, it's like, oh, now how do I participate in that in a healthy way? So I'm, I'm moving the spirit forward and, um, and not like, oh, this is armor. I've got to be like, right. and, th- and, th- and that wears you down. Th- that the problem is then you're like, it's like a, you know, diet and exercise is a good metaphor with money. Like you need to be disciplined. But if you see the whole, if you're seeing the world as, as separate from the divine, then you, then you're, you have this fight that you're in that where's it, 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 then money becomes this constant, like, oh, like, uh, I'm rambling, but you get the, maybe I get my point. In your book, you talk about wealth isn't bad. Wealth inherently isn't bad. Having a little bit of wealth is, is good. Essential, necessary, you have to. So what can we do to, to help ourselves get over that ick factor or just Catholics in general, our, our communities, mm-hmm. there is a little bit of an ick factor, but we all know we need it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Like, what, I mean, you're mentioning um, prayer and, you know, I, I think you worded it so beautifully about how, you know, divine and, and the world, they're not separate. We need to bring them mm-hmm. together. Is there anything else we need to be doing to get over that ick factor? I know my husband and I pray before we do our finances. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it's helped us, but, um, not everyone is, is like we are. So I don't know. Or say a little blessing every time you spend money, right? Every time money changes hands, just do a little, little mental prayer, a little, a little little bit of gratitude goes a long way. So there's a, a saying in monasticism that gratitude is the heart of prayer. And so when you can bring that gratitude, that gratefulness to your money, that you have it, that you have it to spend, um, that, you know, or that you, um, to see the blessings that are all, are all around you. Um, it really, it helps. It's always going to be, there's always going to be that little bit of ick factor. And I, and I still have it. Um, I'm not completely free of it, but when you see money as that tool for, for when you can make your money a force for good, right? That's really what it comes down to is, is this a force for good in the world? Um, which it is, and you can make it that, then the ick go, goes away, it gets mitigated, right? So, so again, it comes down to your ego. It's like, there's this sense that, um, it, and maybe here's the, the, the I, it's kind of a long theological argument I make in, the, in my book about what I call agape argyria, right? So when, which is, you know, the Greek uh, in the Bible where it says, you know, love of money is the root of all evil. Well, um, that word love in ancient Greek has many, many different words for love. We, in, in English, we have one word for love, right? But in ancient Greek, they had five. And so when they're saying, when Bible saying the love of money is a root of all evil, what the, the term in, in the ancient Greek is, is called phil argyria. So phil is one root for love and argyria is silver, what coins were made out of. So there's, there's this phil argyria is what we're being warned against in the Bible is this avaricious, greedy, egoistical, selfish, self-centered, narcissistic grabbing of money at the expense of the people in the world around you. And, and, and for me, what it really is, is, is agape, that agape, the highest divine love wedded to money. So our, again, so the term I coined is agape Argeria. So that agape love into money, Argeria. When you look at it from that perspective, where it's where it's a letting both a both a it's a mindfulness it's 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 and also a letting go of control and letting God work through your money 
then everything's in synchronicity. Everything's in alignment and things, things tend to, they won't, there's no promises. Things won't work out perfectly. Bad things will still happen, but, but you will be much more in flow with the divine. You'll be much more in flow with your money. And there isn't that constant ick grinding. The gears don't grind as much. If you can bring that divine love into your finances and for, for the world, things work a whole lot better. Is there anything else we, uh, we should let, leave our listeners with? Oh, I, I'm sure there's, we could go on all, all afternoon, but, but, uh, but I think we've, we've hit some, hit some high points. So thank you oh. for the time. Thank you, Doug. I do appreciate you. You're very welcome. Thanks again to Doug for our conversation on the history of money. To learn more about Doug, please visit DougLinum.com. And we'll put a link to his book from Monk to Money Manager in our show notes. And please visit compasscatholic.org to learn more about our ministry and our Bible studies. If this topic has you curious to learn more about what the Bible and our Catholic faith teaches about money, I invite you to purchase our Faith and Money Matters Bible study. Have a great week and God bless.